This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe or whatever you're listening on. I'm Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King, Ball State athlete Paul Havocott. And we have a special guest panelist tonight. We want to welcome back to the show, Jockey Del Cordova. He's got over 13,000 career starts. Uh, you can check his episode out in the archives. Tonight he's joined us as a panelist. Dale, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Glad, I'm glad uh, you invited me. Yeah, yeah. We're happy to have you back. And, uh, and of course, we have our, our special guest tonight. This, this is, we're just joined tonight by a true pioneer, legend. There, there's so many words I could use. Uh, she is the first woman jockey ever to be uh, basically in, in paid betting races, the first woman to race in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, tonight's Q&A with her, you don't want to miss this because we're going to get into some of the things that she went through, uh, let's just say, trying to even get on the racetrack, uh, being a woman in her time period. So don't miss the Q&A after our debate tonight. Uh, she's got career wins, 235. Don't believe what Google says. Google says 228. It's 235. Trust me on that. And then she's got almost 400 second and third place finishes as well. Uh, so just a fantastic career. She's got a book out. We're going to talk about that later as well. So we got legend jockey Diane Crump here. Diane, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. It's good to be here. Awesome. So tonight's debate is going to be the greatest jockey of all time we've done the greatest racehorse of all time already check it out in the archives that one was with uh dale over there and we're gonna have our q a after but we're gonna start out tonight with um brian go ahead all right lester piggott uh come out of berkshire england uh, he was five foot eight 117 pounds which is big for a horse jockey and that earned him the name longfellow um both Lester's grandfather and father were decorated jockeys and stable owners. Uh, so he came from a strong legacy of horse racing. But he also faced some everyday challenges um, with his hearing deficiency and his speech impediment. So Lester got a very early start into competitive horse racing at the age of 10. And after some immediate success, he got a new nickname, uh, Boy Wonder. So he won the Derby at just the age of 18. Lester developed a, a unique style of riding. Um, he would put his backside real high in the air and his stirrups cranked up close to the saddle. And this uh, helped enable him to read the races like no one ever really had before him. And it has been imitated uh, countless times by other jockeys. Um, throughout his career, he won the Derby a record nine times. Uh, the 2,000 guineas five times, the 1,000 guineas two times, Epson Oaks uh, six times, and the St. Ledger Stakes eight times. He won the British Flat Racing Championship 11 times. Uh, in 1970, he rode the horse uh, Ninjinsky to a triple crown, and it was the first triple crown winner in England in, in uh, 35 years. He also won in other countries. He had one in Canada, 46 in France, five in Germany, 32 in Ireland, 11 in Italy, three in Singapore, one in Slovakia, and three in the U.S. And one of his U.S. wins uh, may be his most impressive of all. After serving a year in jail for tax evasion, um, he spent, um, or most felt like Lester's career was over at this point in time. So at the age of 54, he entered the Breeders' Cup Mile at the age, wow. of, at the age of 54, 1990, 
Uh, despite being an underdog, he was able to push his horse, Royal Academy, across the finish line, just a nose ahead of the second-place horse to complete the storybook ending. He would go on to win a few more races until 1995 when an injury forced him to retire at the age of 59. Uh, but when the dust finally settled on his career, he had won an astounding 5,300 races worldwide and had earned over $8 million um, overall. So he was the British champion 11 times, a style-setting um, jockey. He had a great comeback, and he won the Derby more than anyone else has. So that's Lester Piggott. So a flat racing specialist, I believe that's usually a max of two miles. Uh, Diane, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Usually, usually it's shorter than that. But, of course, in Europe, they do run longer than they do here. Right. But that would probably be accurate. Okay. And then my first question with you with Lester is the fact that he definitely raced on grass more than anybody we're talking about tonight. So what what is the difference between the grass or the, the clay that we see a lot here in the United States? I mean, it's a different – you ride it a little differently. The style is a little different. But you have to also go by the conditions, you know, whether it's a really fast turf course or whether it's really, really slow and yielding. So, I mean, there's a lot of – there's a bit of difference – but on the other hand, it's still racing. You know what I mean? Yes. You just ride the grass a little differently. I mean, like some horses just love it. And so speed will their speed will hold up. And the yielding track, the horses that like to come from behind, it works perfect for them. So, I mean, right. so it's – I don't know if it's the riding so much, but the horses, if they like the grass, they're a completely different animal. And if they don't like it, they're in trouble. So <laughs> I guess they're in trouble in Europe if they don't like it. <laughs> yeah. But here we have both, so we're good. So let, let, let's let's go to that then. Most of his races are in Europe. In your opinion, how do you think he would have fared if he was full-time over here in the United States? Is the competition level that different? I don't think the competition level is different. I think the one thing is the style here is different. So I'm not sure if he would have been as popular here as he would have been there. That'd just be my opinion. That just because of his style, it was perfect for the European racing, obviously, to see what he's done. So I think the difference, for one thing, we have a lot more riders here because um, we have a lot more racetracks. And then I think with our style, which is way more speed, and shorter distances, I don't think he would have fared quite as well. That's just my opinion, but that would be my guess. He was so famous in the United Kingdom. I, I, I had watched a whole thing on, on YouTube that when he passed away, like it was like when a king or queen passed away, there was just documentaries and TV shows, and it was on TV forever. Like he was huge there. So uh, definitely. He was in the, the right place, champion. wasn't he? Exactly. All right, well, let's uh, let's move on to our next horse, and uh, that's going to be done by – or not horse, jockey. <laughs> that's going to be done by uh, Dale. Go ahead, Dale. Okay, I've, I've got uh, Michael Earl Smith, better known as Big Money Mike, and there's a big reason for that. He's uh, – any big race, he's, he's going to be in the money. It don't matter what – 
how far or anything. He's just he's just the best. Uh, he was born in Dexter, New Mexico, which is about ten miles from Roswell, uh, which uh, you can see that why he as a jockey he's just out of this world, being in Roswell. Uh, he began uh, at small <laughs> small racetracks. Yeah, at age 11, at, you know, unrecognized racetracks, he was riding at age 11. And uh, at 16 is when he took his uh, professional license out, apprentice, uh, at Santa Fe, New Mexico, where he won his first race. He, he worked his way up to the bigger tracks eventually. He rode his first Kentucky Derby at 19, which is probably the second youngest ever. And uh, about 89, he moved... Uh, Moved to New York, where he became leading rider and legendary rider, uh, where he set uh, he set the North American record for 62 stakes victories in one year. It's amazing. He still and then two years later he broke that record with 68. It still stands. Um, which 12 of those that year was or not 12, 20 was Grade One. He won seven American Classic races, which are the the jewels for the triple crown he won uh two kentucky derbies two preaknesses uh three three belmonts and then he went on he, he he won 27 breeders cup races which he still holds a record for that and for them was the breeders cup classic uh, of course he did win the triple crown in 2018 the biggest honor ever. Uh, there's only been, in 148 years, only been 13 uh, horses and riders to ever win that, which is a big, uh, big deal. And his awards, he was inducted into the National Museum of Hall of Fame in 2003, um, two times Eclipse Award winner for Outstanding Jockey, the George Wolfe Award, uh, he won the Bill Shoemaker Award three times. He won the Lafitte Pinquet Award, uh, which Lafitte uh, awarded it to him. Um, he's won so many awards, I, I can't even put them all in here. If it was a Mike Smith Award, he'd have won that. And he, he's which still going, right? Yeah, he's yeah, still, he's still yeah. active. He's, he's still in all the big, big races. Um, he is... Uh, in his career, he's rode 34, over 34,000 races. Uh, he's won close to 6,000 races, close to 5,000 seconds, and over 4,000 thirds. His horses have earned over $345 million, and that's that's a lot of money. He, he gets a percentage of that. I think Mike Smith, he just, if you, if you took, like Bill Shoemaker's finesse, Lafitte's strength, and Russell's endurance, and and uh, Lester's uh, strategies and style. If you put them all together, you'd come up with Mike Smith because he's he studied racing his whole life and he knows what it takes uh, to be the best. And so that's why I think he is. So Diane, he's our only active racer tonight. Um, let me ask you about this because I did a little research on all these. I, I always do that. But so Mike is kind of known for waiting to use his whip till 
towards the very end of the race. That that's unusual from what I've I've read about. Um, what, what what are your thoughts about that? Well, it's the best. It's the most effective. I mean, I think that's pretty. <laughs> I think that's a good good plan. Obviously, it's worked really well for him. But I mean, it. I think that's pretty a commonplace that you would use it right, right at the end. I mean, when you're trying to get the very most out of them, right at you know, coming to the wire, that that's where it's the most important. But no, obviously, there's nothing you can say. He he's amazing. And he's I know amazing he's to keep going. And it yeah. is hard. It's wear and tear. And to keep going, it shows you've got a heck of a lot of strength and perseverance. That's for sure. And, you've, and you've learned a lot riding that many good horses. Good horses teach yeah. you. Because then you can use strategy. Then you can really evaluate things. When you ride a bunch of them that aren't that talented, it's tough. You know, you're trying to eke out every last basically penny that you can but in his case when you ride so many great horses you just you become a better rider and you learn more I, i'm sure you're familiar with zenyatta that was probably his best horse uh, i would think i mean well what about justify well yeah justify <laughs> you're right yeah he's up there too i mean the, the man has been blessed so he's i mean been blessed yes it, 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 I'm sure it, it, he deserves it, but he's still been blessed. Uh, that's what I was going to say. Do you think it's uh, it's it's more him, or is he getting placed with the right horses, or a well, little both? It's yeah, it's both for sure. But I mean, he obviously you have to have the talent. But to have talent, if you ride bad horses, nobody ever knows. Because look at the odd jockeys that once in a while have cropped up and won the Derby, right? That nobody ever heard of because they were on some small track. You know, riding, you know, like the Smarty Jones and the Rich Strike. You know, they were at small tracks. But see, when they had a horse, they could win at the big time. So part of it does go with you get the right horses. And, yeah. you, you know, they make you ride better. That's just a fact of life. They make you ride better. And you can <laughs> darn sure learn more when you're on a horse that's got ability. It's just like, I think, like a race car driver. If you have a good car, a good horse you know, you can get more out of them. And the more you get out of them, you, the more you can figure out how to do it. So I think it works both ways. So he's a good rider, but good horses have helped him along the way. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get that horse that comes out of nowhere, like mind that bird. You just, where right. did that come from? You know, yeah, so. Exactly. Yep. Well, let's move on to uh, Paul. Go ahead. Okay. That's a Bill Shoemaker. So even though the crown itself eluded him, Shoemaker won 11 triple crown races during his career, spanning over like four different decades. He's inducted to the National Museum of Racing and Hall, uh, Hall of Fame in 1958, and he was immortalized as part of a series of portraits by Andy Warhol, of all things. So you can kind of see one of them there behind me in the background. I think that's kind of odd. I don't know what that would be comparable today, but... Uh, as Dale was talking in his Mike Smith segment, Bill's got an award named after him, too. So he's got a ton of victories and races. I'm going to try and name some of the key ones. He won the Kentucky Derby four times, Preakness Stakes two times, Belmont Stakes five times, Brutus Cup Classic once in uh, 87, Fairgrounds Racing Hall of Fame 1971, Shoemaker Mile Stakes at Hollywood Park. He's got a life-size bust of him in uh, Santa Anita, 
Park. And um, some of the things he's known for, before I get into a couple races that kind of formed him and his his legend, uh, United States uh, champion jockey by earnings for 10 years, United States champion jockey by wins in 50, 53, 54, 58, and 59, George Wolf Memorial Jockey Award, big sport of uh, Turfdom Award, Eclipse Award for Outstanding Jockey, uh, Eclipse Award of Merit. So I guess when I was researching Bill, a couple races that uh, people voted to be some of his best, the Marlboro Cup in 1976 at Belmont Park, uh, maybe his greatest racing achievement, riding a horse uh, named Forgo. And Forgo's drive started from the eighth position out of 11. And on the back stretch, uh, it's sort of a late charge, ended in a very muddy that day, very nasty track. And he ends up going to victory uh, by a nose over um, Honest Pleasure. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Honest Pleasure might have been one of the favorites. But um Shoemaker was later quoted saying that was the best horse he'd ever ridden. And then he's got another one here, which is kind of funny. He's got 79 to 80. He has a good stretch. He was riding spectacular bid uh, in the horse's final 13 races and only lost once during that stretch. And this included spectacular bids, perfect nine for nine, 1980 season, culminating a walkover in the Woodward Stakes. So in his autobiography, Shoemaker, in, in 1988, he calls Spectacular Bid the greatest horse he rode in his storied career. So maybe a little bit of like, what, what have you done for me lately? Um, kind of a tragic end for Bill. Uh, he did become a writer later on in his life, 94, 95, 96. He wrote some mystery books, which uh, ironically featured a jockey turned sleuth, uh, Coley Killebrew, using his racetrack experience in and about uh, his restaurant in the horse world. So he might, might have become a writer because in 91, he wrecked his uh, 91 Ford Bronco too, if you remember what those looked like. Uh, and it had a lot of elements of controversy surrounding it. Uh, number one being alcohol. Number two being uh, some lawsuits that were filed against Ford Motor Company and the California Department of Transportation. I think he was arguing that there should have been guardrails on that road, but uh, Bill lived. That's my opinion of him. He was a great racer. He's de definitely was into pop culture, but Bill was a guy that lived and rode horses really well. That's Bill Shoemaker. So Diane, let's start with size. Bill is considered undersized as a jockey, which that's that's saying a lot because you know jockeys are smaller in stature to begin with. He was under five foot tall. I think I had him at four eleven or four ten. Uh, how, how does that affect him riding a horse? Is, is he... But it, is it, well, it helps for one thing. It helps weight. Because look at poor Pinkay. He, he he was starved all the time. I mean, his diet was... I don't know. The willpower that that man had to keep his weight down was absolutely amazing. So it really helps when you're small and light. Julie Crumb was small like that. And it helped. It does... It's not a detriment in this sport, for sure. I mean, to be small, you're still strong. When you you know doing that but that kind of work that so I mean I'd say it's you're strong because you don't have to diet you're already small and light and I think you can stay really fit and of course he was you know he had a great I guess strategy you know I mean he could figure it out he knew you know he knew where he was he knew I mean he knew his horses 
and he knew exactly how they wanted to run. But I think being small is not a bad thing in this game, for sure. So, I mean, it having no trouble with weight is huge because that is a problem for a lot of the riders. I don't know about all of them, but a lot of them certainly have that problem. So I think with that, you're going to stay stronger. So I think you're small. It's easy to keep your weight and fitness. And so it's, it makes it a little easier, I, I think. So he, he, as Paul said, he didn't win the Triple Crown, but he does have tonight the most Triple Crown races victories out of everyone that we're talking about right. when, we, when we add them all together. So just in your opinion, does that mean more than, say, my guy who we're going to talk about next that has, like, the most wins overall? No, because it, it's the horse. It's riding the right horse and being able to pick the right one, you know, that's going to be another justify, which hasn't happened that often. <laughs> but at any rate, I think that has a lot to do with it because when you think of the amount of horses that are running in the year to the amount that you can ride, I think it makes it kind of tough to, to be able to have that. I don't think it says anything about his ability. It's just, it was just the stroke of luck or not luck, whatever you want to call it. But I think that's basically what it is. It's numbers. It's a numbers game, I hate to say. And so, you know, he's riding so many nice horses. It just wasn't exactly the right one to, to be able to, you know, to win the Triple Crown. So I would say it was just a it was just luck. Well, let's move on to our final jockey tonight, and that's going to be Russell Bay's 42-year career. So if we're talking longevity, that is definitely up there. He's the only jockey to ride over 50,000 races. I have him clocked in at over 53,000 if we're getting technical. Um, he's won more North American races than anyone and has amassed over, well, last I checked, 199 million in winnings. So that's pretty fantastic. I'm definitely in the wrong business, that's for sure. Uh, U.S. Racing Hall of Fame, 1999. He's got almost 13,000 wins. He is the model of consistency. Uh, you know, you never really saw him finishing like, and, and the lower card, just fantastic, fantastic jockey. Um, he's got awards, too. He's got the George Wolf Jockey Award winner, the Clip Special, Isaac Murphy Awards, several of those. So this is just a really interesting stat that I found. That he averaged 3.5 races a day in his career. That's a lot of races <laughs> in a day. So that's, that's just crazy to me. I mean, think about that, 3.5 races a day. And then he won 400 or more races a year, an incredible 11 times. No, no other jockey's done that even more than three times. So that's just crazy. Um, now, I just mentioned before about the, the, the Triple Crown. He is our guy tonight that he doesn't have the Triple Crown. He's never won the Derby, the Preakness. Uh, I, didn't have, I didn't see that he won the Belmont either. So he didn't win any of the three big races. But he has won the most races overall. And, and I think, to me, that means something. I don't know if it will in our vote. We'll, we'll see when we get to that. But uh, he was a fantastic racer. And I think to do it as long as he did shows his love for the sport. I, I remember our prior show with Dale, he talked about like when you, it's like a drug, 
and 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 it definitely was that for for Russell. Uh, so I love him, great racer. Diane, let me come to you. Um, what are your thoughts on why he couldn't win a triple crown race? Let, let, let's start with that. Is it, is it again, well, come down to the horse? It, it does. But so where he rode, you know, wasn't Aqueduct, Belmont, you know, wasn't the New York circuit. It wasn't the California circuit. It was the, well, Northern California. But where he rode, and he had such a passion to be able to continue that with such I mean, fervor. When you want to ride that much, I mean, that's that's the way I always was. But I that you wanted to ride, ride, and it didn't matter what. That was your life. You were driven. It was a passion. So I see that, and I think, I mean, I I don't know, but I would think that he loved the people and the area where he rode, and so those people aren't going to probably be the Bob Bafferts, the Wayne Lucases. The Bill Motts, you know, they're not, they're not of that, I don't know what the word is, but they're not of that status, I guess, because of where they were, where they were. But they love that area. That's where they're from. That's what they liked. And that's where they raced. And so he, I'm sure he got ingrained in that. He loved it. He loved the people that he rode for. And so he stayed there because that's what he loved. He didn't want to change that. And so those Trainers in that area are not as likely to have the people that can go to Keeneland and buy 10 or $15 million yearlings. You know what I mean? They're going to buy the more medium-priced horses. And so I'm sure that's the, the key. And so for him, he was happy to be doing what he was doing, to be riding at his level, his consistency, the passion, the drive. And so it was okay for him that he didn't try to, you know, go somewhere else and make it so that he could, you know, maybe get that kind of month. And so, I mean, I give him credit for that, that he found what he loved, where he found his niche. He was making the people in his area, which weren't, you know, the high and mighty famous ones, but he was making them a good living because he tried so hard and that he gave them everything he had that I think that gives him a huge, big credit in my book. Well, it's a, there's a couple honorable mentions, uh, Gary Stevens, Eddie Arcaro, John Velasquez, and Lefik Pinkay. So guys who just missed our list tonight, let's move into our vote. Cannot vote for your own. Brian, start us out. Well, you know, I I was on the fence with this uh, going in, but I, I really like what Dale said about uh, Money Mike there. I mean, being a combination of each one of the jockeys sort of taking their best attributes and, and putting it all together and being a student of the sport, I, I'm really impressed with that. So I'm going to go with him. Okay. Uh, I'll go next. Um, I, I'm going to say this. If we did this 10 years from now, I'd probably be taking Mike Smith as well. But we're not doing it 10 years from now. We're doing it right now, so uh, I'm going with Shoemaker. Paul, go ahead. Yeah, I was on the fence, too. I mean, this is tough. I I think what I'll do to make it difficult is I'll go with Lester. <laughs> All right. Dale? Well, of course, since I can't uh, pick my own, Mike Smith, um, I'm going to have to go with Russell. Russell has the ability <laughs> to ride any race with anybody at any track. He's, he has the ability. He's pro proved that over and over. 
give him the horses that the top riders are riding, he's going to get them there. And the amount of work and persistence that he's done, amazing. So not often that we get one vote apiece, which puts all the pressure on that. That's the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely. You're used to pressure. So who are you taking? I'm taking Mike. Okay. I am money, Mike. All right. So he a just, win for Mike Smith. He just keeps winning and giving it everything. It's close in my big book between he and Russell, but I'm going to go with Mike. <laughs> Dale, you need to, like, never come on again because you now have a win percentage of <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep, keep that and retire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, right, let's move into our Q&A. And, uh, Dale, you got the win, so you can ask first question. Go for it. Well, first off, Diane, <clears throat> much respect, very much respect. Uh, as a woman in, in the late 60s, I can't even imagine how hard it was to break in. Um, it's hard enough just for a, a guy to, to break in, and let alone the barriers that, that you did. So much respect. And and for, for women riders, Mike Smith and I, we started the same day, the same track. And some of the women riders that were there uh, riding, like Tommy Swan, Vicki Smallwood, Arla Webb, Jody Parker, Nancy Summers, Monica Stanley, I, I could go on. Those were just riders that we were riding with on a daily basis uh, a lot of respect for them they are hard workers they're tough they're relentless so um i think they all have uh owed that to you i guess the one question i probably want to ask you is you know because in horse racing you know you got to worry about the injuries and the, the hours of work and everything, but on a jockey's mind that weighs on your mind all day, every day, did you have a weight problem <laughs> as a jockey? Because we all do. Not in, the early, not in the early years, but as I got older, it was, I, won't, I guess it, I, I had to work harder to keep it down. So I guess, yes, I had a weight problem. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like Bill Shoemaker or Julie Crone. <laughs> I mean, I had to work, you know, I did have to work harder, but in the first years, no, I stayed that light. But as as I did get older, I had a, you know, and plus, because I, my life was a little different than most people because I had to work as a regular job. You know, mm -hmm. I had to have a ride, you know, gallop horses. I had to have a work a job as an exercise rider. I was a stable foreman. I mean, I did everything. And in the winter, I went home and broke yearlings. So, because I couldn't, I couldn't get the mounts to support more than that. And I loved it with the greatest passion of any of those. I mean, I wanted, I would have ridden every race every day. I was, I was so driven. And the, I guess the hardest thing for me was the frustration of, I mean, I, you know, I worked a regular job, galloping horses, ran their shed row. And yet at 4 a.m. I'd be galloping outside horses when, you know, we started 5.30. When we get through, I'd get on extra horses. I'd go to a farms in the afternoon. You know, the horses that people didn't want to ride. So, I mean, that was the frustration of the months. So, for me, no. I worked hard enough in the early years to not have to worry about weight at all. But later, you know, as I got a little older, it did change. But I still was okay. I mean, a, a lot easier for me than a lot of riders. 
Yeah, and oh. and also back uh, in in them days, uh, they didn't have any women's quarters where you no, could uh, that's spend for time sure. by yourself. And you know, like uh, they have saunas now and in, in women's quarters and everything, which uh, you didn't have any of that. So I I like I said, it's always weighing on a jockey's mind, and I just didn't know if you had that problem. Later on, but early on, no. I just worked harder. <laughs> yeah. That well, kept it down. <laughs> we'll go Paul Bryan, maybe. Sure. Diane, obviously, huge inspiration. We've, we're going to hear about it more and some of your questions that you answer and talking about your life. So I guess I was curious, who was your inspiration? I was going to hazard a guess and say perhaps Catherine Kuzner, but I, maybe you could elaborate on who inspired you. Well, I can say she was a she was part of it. I mean, to, for me, as far as just wanting to ride, I didn't have anybody inspiration except for that was just my desire. But for an inspiration for guts and for getting in there and making it work, it was Kathy. Absolutely. For what she the toughness that she persevered to get a license and to get the racing commission to say, okay, okay. I mean, she was tough and she hung in there. And plus she was so smart and a group of women lawyers that donated their services to help her go, you know, take it to court and everything. So yes, she was awesome. And I mean, she, what a great rider as, as a, actually an equestrian, maybe not a race rider. And she knew it once she started that that wasn't really her thing. But she was amazing riding jumpers and, you know, doing uh, other horse sports. And she rode fine, but it wasn't her thing in, in that respect. But her gameness and her guts to get out there and do what she did and fight it legally, I'm not sure if I would have had that. But for her to fight it legally, she was definitely an inspiration to me. Yes. So Diane, when we when we look at your um, your accomplishments today, it's you know it, um, everybody is very impressed um, you know, with what you were able to um, you know to be like a pioneer in, in the sport for women. Uh, but obviously, in the beginning, there was a lot of pushback. So my question to you was, you know, from getting from, from getting from point A to point B, at what point do you feel like? you were starting to feel some acceptance and the, and the tide was starting to change and, and you were getting a lot more support for what you were doing from the, you know, the male population of the, of the jockeys and, and people in the horse racing industry in general. Well, I will say it take, it took several years before you even thought that people were starting to accept you. I mean, early on, of course I rode for Don who, you know, we later got married, but you know, his, and his, actually his owners, Warner Jones that owned Hermitage farm, and Mr. Brown, the one that the man that owned the horse that I rode in the Derby, when they come out to watch their horses in the morning, they always thought, wow, look at, you know, like I'd break a horse out of the gate and there'd be seven or eight horses in the morning. And I don't think I ever got beat in the morning, you know, breaking horses out of the gate. I was always good on two year olds, you know, first time starters. And I mean, like teaching horses to break out of the gate. That was sort of my thing, I guess, because as a kid, I used to do match races down these back roads. I don't know, but I had a quick, you know, that kind of thing was, was sort of ingrained in me. I just love that. I had fast reflexes. I like to drive fast and ride fast. But anyway, I mean, it just took, other than those people that really liked me and, you know, could see me in the morning, but for everybody else that 
you know, ran a bigger barn or whatever. Some of the small people that, you know, needed help in the morning, well, then they might give me a chance to ride their horse in the afternoon because I'd come get on it for free or whatever. But for the most part, I'm going to say it took 10 years to start feeling a big difference. The first several years, half the time I dressed in a ladies' restroom or the first aid room. I mean, it was just so, I don't know, everybody was still against it. And it was so hard. And the fans, other than Kentucky, they were they were the best fans in Kentucky toward me, even from the start. But everywhere else, it was hard. They'd follow you around, tell you to go back to the kitchen, go go home and clean your house, and on and on and on. So after five years, it started toning down, but it took 10 to get more acceptance. And that's when, you know, Julie Crone came along about 10 years after, after I started. So it, it was slow coming, <laughs> unfortunately. So, so let's elaborate just a little more on, on the end, the end of that. Those first few races i've read that you had to be police escorted out in in to the tracks things like that so were you receiving like death threats i mean like how bad did it get no it wasn't it wasn't that i mean it was the hardest thing is they just didn't know because everybody would crowd around you so you can't really move but it wasn't death threats i mean I, maybe if it was in this era it might be but back then no it was mostly just they didn't want you to ride. They were like, oh, you're going to get people hurt. Look at all the riders have gotten killed in the past. This, I'm like, well, what did I have to do with it or any woman because we couldn't ride? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, some of the things that they said had, didn't make any sense. But I guess it's just so ingrained. What, 200 years of, you know, of racing in America and no women. So, I mean, yes, at the, you know, some of the small, smaller unrecognized places, you know, in bush tracks, but in reality, there just wasn't, it was so male oriented that it just took a while for anybody to, to be able to accept it. All right. Okay. One more each guys. We'll go, uh, same order. Go ahead, Dale. Oh yeah, Diane, uh, as far as, you know, for you to just ride the Kentucky Derby is, it's amazing. And the, the feeling just stepping on that track for that race and playing the song. Did you tear up a little bit? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, that part is amazing. It's such a yeah. great feeling, isn't it? I mean, it's just in the paddock, all, everybody around you. And then there's no naysayers to that because everybody's mm -hmm. so excited. I mean, let's face it. I don't care. It might not have the most money, but it's still the most famous race in the world, in Definitely. my opinion. And it, just that feeling when you stepped out, you know, when the groom handed the horse to the pony, when you get, you know, when you start warming up and you hear my old Kentucky home, it gives you, it, you know, it gives you chill bumps just to think about it. And just, yeah. for, just what, the whole time warming up, it was amazing. So, no, that feeling is, it's really, it's not even describable, actually. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yes, I even uh, all all jockeys uh, the same thing. They step on that track for the Kentucky Derby. They hear that song. I don't care how big a man you are, you're gonna you're gonna have some tears. Yes, I agree absolutely. <laughs> you're not breathing if you don't have that. If you don't feel that. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> Diane, you were from a young age, even though you weren't really around horses that much, it seemed from what I read that this is what you wanted to do. You wanted to get into this. And so I guess since Oldsmar, Florida is really only about 20 minutes from where I live, I was looking at that part of your life. So I guess my question is two part, you know, what, why horses at such a young age? And when you moved to Oldsmar from, um, I guess, Connecticut, is that when you kind of knew, is that the start of it when you knew that this might turn into something? Yes, because all I ever wanted to do is ride. And I didn't think beyond that about the racing. So as a kid, but when I moved, we moved Oldsmar and had got my first riding horse. I was 12. And the craziest thing is that we were, I was riding down racetrack road, not really knowing what racetrack road meant. <laughs> didn't even know there was a racetrack till I was riding the, just the riding horse that I had, just a little quarter horse riding down there. When I saw that track, I don't know if, if people can actually believe that, but I swear there was something that hit me that was like nothing I had ever felt before. It's almost like, I don't know, I call it baptized by fire. It was like crazy. It, the way I felt when I saw that track, I was so drawn to it, I couldn't even believe it. And from then, I had to ride my horse. I had to figure out how to get in there. I had figured out how to get around the on the track. It wasn't long. I started a riding club and one of the boys in the club was trimming horses and he was like, hey, there's a farm that needs help. And it was happened to be a thoroughbred farm. He, did, he didn't say that and I didn't know it, but I got the job handling the weanlings. And that fall they said, oh, our horses are coming in from the track, are coming in from Ohio to, the, to race here. And oh my God, when they came in, it was just like all of it. I was so drawn to it and fascinated by it that I knew that was it. That was my life right there. I just knew it from that moment on. I guess maybe I was 13 by the time, I, but I absolutely knew that's all I wanted. And so from there, I learned, I made myself learn how to ride. I mean, because I was self-taught and I, you know, I went from handling the weanlings to the next year. Luckily, it was so laid back in those days and my parents didn't have a clue about anything that they were like, you think you could break the yearlings? I'm like, yeah, sure. I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> so they got some guy that worked at the gate that would, you know, that would, you know, throw me up on him, give me a leg, you know, how you lay across them and get on them in the stall. And little by little, step by step, I mean, he was a gate man. He was a big guy. So he helped handle them on the ground. And then he was like, okay, now, you know, you, you teach him how to guide and then you start jogging him in the shed. But the more I rode, the more I wanted to ride. And then when the races were in town, we weren't allowed into the track because I wasn't 16. And so I'd watch it, you know, stand outside the gate and watch. It was just the fascination of it all and the whole process of every last thing, the training, just watching them, just everything to do with it was a fascination. And for me, that was it. I knew that was my life right there. So I worked to that. I, from that moment on, I started working. Anybody that would let me get on a horse, I don't care if it's just to walk it around the shed row. Till the, you know, I learned to ride on the, at the farm and then they'd sneak me in and I'd get on them, learn how to, learn how to gallop little by little for whatever. 
get run off with, get bucked off, whatever. That was at the farm. But I learned by doing it. And when you've made a mistake, you figured out how not to do that. And so I just loved it. Nothing stopped me. It didn't matter what happened. I was so driven for it. I don't know. I, it's hard to explain, but I just loved it. Well, Diane, I understand that you ha now have a, uh, a dog ministry that, that you're working on uh, currently. Can you, can you tell us more about that? Well, I guess I went from horses to the dogs. So when things change, when I couldn't ride anymore, and I'm, well, I have my business that I sell horses because the only thing I've ever done is horses in my life other than animals in general. And so I wanted to be able to do something to give back, but I didn't really have anything. I don't have any money. And the only thing I had was a couple of dogs. And so I looked into the therapy program and once I got my dogs certified and I started taking them to the hospital and nursing homes, I could see how much it helped and what a difference it made to people. It was unbelievable. So for me, it was a dog ministry that you could you can help so many people and you can encourage them. And there's so many people that are hopeless. They have no, they have nobody that cares about them at all. And it's so funny because the dogs open a door that people can't open because, you know, they don't care. They don't care what you look like. They don't care if nobody loves you, they love you. Right, and, right. you know, I mean, they're just so awesome because there's no hidden agenda to them. They love everybody. And everybody's equal in their eyes. And so people start opening up to you. And then, then you're able to help them. You're able to show that, yes, we do care. And, you know, then I've been able to find them help or get things that they needed for them so they can realize that there are people out there that care. And the dogs really, really brought that to the fore. They, they do amazing jobs. That's where I'm going when I get through. So I try to go several times a week, as much as COVID slowed it down, but it's all back to normal. And so they do good work and I'm gonna continue in my dog ministry. Awesome. So we'll get you out of here with this. I'm, I'm gonna make it a two-parter. I actually have several questions, but I, I'll make it this one two-parter. So uh, tell us about your book, uh, Diane Crump, A Horse Racing Pioneer's Life in the Saddle and where people can get it. And then also you've had a, a career full of injuries um, you've been crushed underneath your horse. So what would you say was your worst injury? And has that affected your body today? I mean, we see like football players that have a hard time getting out of bed that are, you know, past their retirement and things like that. Has, has those injuries affected you physically at all at this point in your life? Well, I have my, you know, a couple of the worst things, my knees and my shoulders are completely worn out, but I refuse to let it stop me. So, yes, I have had lots of things, but I, to me, I don't want to have them all replaced. I've had lots of surgeries. I don't want any more. So, yes, I get my knees injected on a regular basis, back, shoulders, whatever. But for me, it's you keep moving. I won't, I don't allow myself to not go. So I hike. I work every single day. I take my dogs to the hospital. I visit nursing homes. I don't stop. So to me, that's the key. Don't stop. It's mind over matter. Yes, I have lots of aches and pains. I don't care. I'm going to keep going and I'm not stopping until they put the dirt over me. 
And, and tell us about your book and, and where people can, can so find that at. The book is, I believe that I was led by the Lord because I kept getting this feeling that I needed to tell my story. And for me, I was searching for someone to help me write it because I didn't think I was capable. And I asked God that morning, would he please show me what to do? And that night, when I got home from work, I was taking my dog to a training class, and there was a message on my machine, and the message was from Mark Schrager. He said, Diane, I've written a few books on racing, and for some reason, your name just keeps cropping up. And he said, would you be interested? And I called him, and we started working together, and we worked on it for a year. And I just told him I thought that I wanted people to know that God gives us all a gift, and that gift is our dream. And if we follow our dream, then we've lived our purpose for life, and that God will see us through. And so for me, I wanted people to know that we all have a gift, and we're all special. And all we have to do is follow that dream and know that God led us. And so that's that was the goal and Mark tried his best to help me with that. And I wanted a broader overview of what was going on in that era. And that's why I needed someone like him with such a, so great with research. And so I think together, I hope that we were able to tell the story the way that I wanted it to be told. Well said, well said, excellent. All right, well, I, wa I wanna thank Diane. Thank you so much just for coming on. I mean, as I said earlier, I mean, you, you're, you're a legend, you, you're a groundbreaker. I mean, th there's not enough kind words we can say about you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Well, all I can say is I'm a nothing, came from nowhere, but God led me into a history book. So that's what I can tell everybody. We all have something special. We just have to follow it. And thank you to Dale Cordova again for, for coming on. We appreciate you being a panelist tonight. You're welcome, Mike, and thanks for having me. I, I thoroughly enjoy doing these. Uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. I want to remind everybody, hit that subscribe and like button on whatever you're listening on. And we'll see everyone next time. Have a great night. Thank you for watching.